listening to the Issues on Appeal podcast, focusing on timely and timeless issues of appellate practice and professionalism. Here is your host, Dwayne Diker. Thanks for joining me for episode 33, Very Superstitious, part two. This show is again sponsored by Court Surety Bond Agency, the nation's leading surety agency specializing in supersedious bonds. More on CSBA later in the show. So, last week's show is about superstitions, rituals, quirky habits of appellate lawyers. The last episode got a really strong response, and there were more folks who wanted to chime in, so here we are for part two. My conversation with lots of appellate lawyers is coming up next. So, Kansas, good and welcome back to the Issues on Appeal podcast. Hi, good morning. So, this week we are talking to lots of folks around the state about, you know, superstitions, quirky habits about appellate practice. They almost all seem to focus on oral argument. <laughs> but we'll see. What's, what's, what's your story for us? Well, my story really stems from I played competitive golf from the time I was five till I was 25. And so you'll kind of understand this. If anybody who's played sports, you'll kind of under understand the story. Um, I am a firm believer in the get pump song before oral argument. And <laughs> so um, I think everybody kind of needs a theme song going in. If we could actually have walk-up music to the podium, that, oh, would, that be would be my awesome. ideal situation. <laughs> you know, maybe with virtual <laughs> arguments, that might be easier. You know, we could we could do that. I, I think we need to think about that. Exactly. So I, I even encourage my associates, like, find a song that makes you happy, that makes you feel good about yourself, and gives you the most confidence that you can have going into that. And so I will share with everybody my Get Pump song, which has been my Get Pump song for many years. Um, and it's Don't Rain on My Parade from Funny Girl. <laughs> and the morning of oral argument, um, if I am driving in the car, you will normally find me basically singing this at the top of my lungs in the car. So if you hear me, just walk on by. Don't judge. <laughs> Uh, that's awesome. You know, and it's funny, other people on on the, the show will talk about things they do in the car to get ready for oral argument. And there's the, there's always an underlying theme of, I hope nobody sees this, you know. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Well, you know, I don't know what my gut pump song would be, but I'm going to think about it. And if I can come up with it, I'll put a, I'll put a link in the show notes. Awesome. Thanks, Kansas, for your time. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. So, Jamie Moses, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. So, I hear that you have a OA preparation ritual that we could talk about. Sure. Um, well, as you know, I'm a big fan of the pencil. I do all my editing and a lot of my writing in pencil. And so, and not just any like pencil, right? You have a particular type of pencil. Um, well, yes or no. I mean, all my pencils are from my travels um, around the world. That is my souvenir that I collect and get. And so 
Um, you know, someday I'm writing on a pencil that says Buckingham Palace, and the next day I'm writing on a pencil that has a statue, writing with a pencil that has a Statue of Liberty on top of it. <laughs> Very it's cool. Sort of, yeah, it's just sort of a way to um, do your job, but also have some great memories while you're doing it. One of my favorite, favorite pencils is um, one that has a wood tulip at the top, and that was from my trip to Amsterdam um, with my daughter. So. Hmm. You know, I don't know if you we ever talked about this, but my mother was born in the Netherlands, and so I, I love uh, the Netherlands and Holland, and and I, w- I was supposed to be there about two weeks ago, but uh, you know wow. now not. So yeah, so maybe I'll send you a pencil. <laughs> so tell me about so, what you do with the pencil. So I um, what I like to do is I like to get to the point at oral argument where I don't need any notes whatsoever and that they're just there to, uh, you know, either trigger a comment or to refresh my recollection. So what I probably three or four days before oral arguments, I write out my entire hoped for argument, not, not long form, not paragraphs and long sentences, but I make my entire argument um, and I write it out in pencil. And I start with as simple as it says intro. And I put my initials, I put the firm, <laughs> I put who I represent, and then I put what we what we want, reversal, deferment, whatever. Um, I, I put all of that down. And then I just start writing my argument. And I write down the case names that are important to that section of my argument um, so that I, you know, can talk about them. And at first, it's very long. It could be as long as six to eight pages. And then a day or so, maybe a day later, I rewrite it again. And it gets narrower and narrower until hopefully the day before or the evening before, I am down to just one page with very discreet bullet points. Very discreet. And... To the left of the bullet point, I have a single word case name where before I may have written it all the way out so that I could remember. And I put a little um, number next to it, which means where it is in my oral argument notebook. Um, Because I put a notebook together and I have the three briefs and all the case law behind it, um, behind the three briefs. And each case is behind a numbered tab. So... If the argument is, you know, we properly stated a cause of action for breach of contract, and the basis of that is Horowitz, and Horowitz is at tab 25, um, then I write down, you know, breach of contract sufficient. To the left, it says Horowitz, and 25 in a little box right next to it. So my ultimate goal is to be able to do my entire argument without consulting my notes but to have something in front of me just in case I stumble or if the court were to say, what's the name of the case that supports this? Um, then I can have easy access to it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. You and I, we actually have a very similar process, except mine involves a computer and a laser printer and not a pencil. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I haven't gotten there yet with typing my outlines. Um, you know, I can type briefs 
and all that. I used to love to dictate them until I no longer had a secretary all to myself, and then I had to start typing them. But for some reason, the process of writing them, writing my notes, just works for me. I can literally be up at the podium and, like, see in my head me writing the name of a case down that goes with what I'm saying at that moment. So it works for me. I had a hearing today in business court, and I did the exact same thing. Um, never consulted my outline once, um, but I knew exactly what I wanted to say uh, because I had done this exact same process. Oh, that's awesome. And, and somewhere yeah. deep down in your heart, you know that you wrote it with a pencil from Amsterdam. Yes, yes, <laughs> I did. Although today, I wrote to be totally honest, the pencil I used um, today to write my argument was actually the Florida Appellate Practice Section pencil. Oh, there I had you go. Grab it, and that's better. what I was using. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then I tend, I don't know about others, but I practice my oral argument in front of the mirror. Um, I did that this morning for today. Um, if I have to drive to the court, I practice the whole way there. Um, before we had um, speaker phones in our car, I used to hold up my phone to my ear and pretend that I was talking on the phone while practicing my <laughs> oral argument. Uh, that, <laughs> that's a real sign if you um, can do the argument while you're driving. Yes. and pretty much stay on course, then you know what you're talking about. Yes. So. Yeah, that's funny. See, I do that, too. I, I, if I'm driving a long way to oral argument, I'll have my, my outline on the passenger seat, and, and I'll, you know, I'll probably give that opening uh, 20 times before I get to the court. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, we're old school. That's why. Yep. We're old school. Well, thanks, so, Jamie. I really appreciate it. it. Thanks, Dwayne. We'll always love talking to you. See you later. Thanks. Bye. So, Sarah Lalu-Amin, welcome back to the Issues on Appeal podcast. Thanks, Dwayne. Great to be here. Oh, always great to have you. And I understand that you have something that uh, you can add to our discussion that we've been having about, uh, you know, appellate habits and quirky habits and traditions and superstitions and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I have a a couple of things that come to mind. Um one of them, um, perhaps, perhaps we'll go in the order of most odd to not. <laughs> sure. Um, and so I would say the most odd, um, I was, I actually didn't even think about it until I was listening to your last episode and somebody who had forgotten their suit or their full suit before oral argument, um, Matt Canigliero was talking about that. Yep. And, um, that hasn't happened to me in real life, but. I had a recurring dream where that happens to me that I usually have before oral argument. And it's a really specific as, you know, recurring dreams typically typically are right. Pretty specific. Um, It's typically at the 50 CA and there is a place where you can buy all types of clothing. It's it's, it's like really fancy clothing (laughs) right behind the 50 CA. But the problem is they're usually not open by the time oral <laughs> argument starts. Of course. And so I have to talk to the clerk's office because surely this has happened with some, to someone before, which maybe even is why they have this business right behind the building. Sure. Um, and so I get someone to let me in and I'm looking around for a suit. And that's usually where the dream ends is me kind of throwing around trying to make it happen before right. they call me for oral argument. 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, that is a nightmare. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. It's so, you know, it's never actually happened, but maybe that's why, right? Maybe that's why I, uh, you know, check and double check and make sure I have everything that I need. Um, and then usually, you know, I check everything the night before if I am staying somewhere back in the day, you know, as you've mentioned before, when we actually used to travel for right. oral argument, you know, if I, um, I usually check and make sure everything's laid out the night before. Right. Me too, for sure. It's just uh, a little bit of paranoia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have a healthy dose of that in our profession, I think. Yeah. It keeps us on our toes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's great. So, and the next thing, which I, I don't know, this is probably right on par in terms of how odd it is. Um, but, and I, and I think, you know, maybe when I was in law school or a few years out of practice, I would have been more embarrassed by this. Um, but, you know, going on 15 years now, this is still how I'm doing it and I am just going to own it. So my preparation for oral argument includes the use of a glue stick. Um, and so what I typically do, and I think this is what a lot of people use, actually, it's, it's like a multi-section folder. Um, and it, so it has several pages and you can attach, you know, your notes to each page of this folder. And so it's a nice way to break it down by issue or, you, you know, you may have a page that addresses some record sites and then a page of your argument and a page of some authority. Um, and so these can have, um, I think, like either three or six dividers slash pages that you can do that with. Um, and so, you know, depending on how complicated the argument is, I might have the smaller or the larger one. And um, But I don't like the visual distraction of using the prongs at the top to attach my pages. And, of course, that also means I lose space. Um, and I also don't like the distraction of staples. And so I actually glue with a glue stick my pages onto the folder. So that's my quirky appellate confession. Wow. Now, now why that instead of a staple or, or, or something like that? So if I stapled it, would I staple it? on the front or on the back, you know what I mean? And then when it's closed, I have to look at that ugly inverted staple. <laughs> I just like everything looking very clean, um, perhaps with the unfortunate ripple of glue stick application. That's not perfect, but I can tolerate that, but I don't like the visual distraction of a staple. And then it's, of course it could be sharp too. Yeah, so, well, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Staple schmaple. <laughs> but don't you find when you use a glue stick like that, that the, that the paper doesn't like always uniformly adhere and it gets a little wrinkly. That's kind of what I remember from, from my kids' school projects. From second grade? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know, Dwayne. I'm pretty handy with a glue stick okay, right well, now. Okay, so, it's a skill. Yeah. It's a skill. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It can be done, and it can be done well. Um, yeah, my, my kids use them too, and they try to steal my glue sticks, but I keep a good supply. Well that's, well, that's pretty good. And do you, was there anything in particular that led you to that? I mean, was, did somebody, did you see somebody else do that? Or was this uh, uh, something that just came to you? I really wish I could blame this on someone else, but I can't. So <laughs> okay. well, right. I have to, I have to own this one. <laughs> well, good. No, that's, yeah. oh, I like it. It makes sense. And, uh, you know, nobody, nobody gets hurt. <laughs> Yeah, we're we're lawyers after all. We're just trying to prevent injuries here. 
That's right. And uh, I, I think you mentioned one more thing. Yeah, yeah. So um, this is by far the most normal thing on the list here. So um, something that I like to do, you know, kind of hearkening back to your OA travel nostalgia, we'll call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we used to, you know, travel more and, and maybe we'll get back to that. But I don't think we'll ever get back to that at the level that we were before because it was kind of, it was always a given before. And now I think there will be more of an option to do it this way. And it just makes so much sense. Um, for our clients, especially, right? Because yes. they don't incur that expense and it can be pretty expensive to add in travel for OA. Um, and, you know, we still get to make the same arguments and talk to the court. And so it makes a lot of sense. And I think it is definitely here to stay in large part. But I do miss the travel um, on occasion and I miss the trips. And I would always integrate something fun into my trips. So I would always try to find a local coffee shop and or a restaurant, but I always try to find a coffee shop um, and score one of the little stickers that a lot of them have to kind of commemorate my, my trip. Um, and then usually on the way back, I would take a more leisurely stop um, and try to take a scenic route to see, you know, I love traveling Florida roads, seeing things I haven't seen before. Um, and things I had seen. So, so one time I was coming back from South Florida and got to stop at, I think it's Coral Cove Beach. Um, beautiful beach um, down south with these rock formations. And um, so I got to do that one time. Just, just a brief stop, you know, just to kind of clear my head after oral argument. Um, and then another time I stopped and picked some tomatoes at the tomato farm. I love, um, Florida farms. And so, you know, I, I kind of plotted out my route and said, oh, wow, that farm that I love that I never got to go to because I never drive that far is on the way. So I stopped Hmm. there and picked some tomatoes and, you know, had them for my dinner that night with my, with my dinner, with my salad. Um, so, so, yeah, I always try to work in something that I haven't seen before because we travel to places and, you know, often we're in and out. But even being in and out, I think, you know, there's always an opportunity to maybe connect with a friend who lives in the area who you don't get to see too often or, you know, go to a new coffee shop, which is always at the top of my list, or see something in nature that you don't always see. Yeah. No, that, no that's great. I, hmm. You know, I, I don't do that necessarily although sometimes if i'm going to south florida i will see friends but i do have a habit i will tell you of, of even though it might be a little bit longer uh distance or a little bit longer time i prefer to take the i don't want to call them the back roads but like if mm-hmm. i'm going to jacksonville i'd much rather go up 301 and see a little bit of old florida on the way yeah. than, than go up 75 to 10 or if i'm going to uh you know, somewhere well, maybe north of Fort Lauderdale, I'd rather cross the state on 700 or 710 or whatever that is that goes through the middle mm-hmm. and, and go around the uh, uh, Lake Okeechobee and go through some of the small towns and just take 75 all the way down to the alley. You know, it's just you you have a chance to stop and, you know, eat in some places that are a little bit uh, different or, you know, I just like that. I like seeing a little bit of old Florida, too. Yeah, yeah, and especially, you know, going through those middle-of-the-state roads, there's, there really are um, awesome farms that you can visit yes. and see, you know, things 
things growing in their natural state and you can, there's a lot of you picks and um, that's always fun over on the East coast. I love driving up a one a whenever I can. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. So much cool stuff to see over there. Well, I agree with you. I think we'll be driving less probably, you know, not, not, not completely, but I do think, um, you know, things are going to have to change and, you know, it'll just make when we get the chances to make those trips, we'll make them that much uh, better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Have to really milk it and line up all the coffee shops <laughs> and my whole way, my right. whole way down and my whole way back. <laughs> well, Sarah, thanks so much for your time and for being on the podcast again. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks a lot, Dwayne. Thank you. Today's show is sponsored by Court Surety Bond Agency, the nation's leading surety agency specializing in supersedious bonds. If you have a client needing to stay enforcement of a judgment in Florida or any other state or federal court, contact CSBA. They can be reached at www.courtsurety.com or toll free at 877-810-5525. Their contact information is always in the show notes. I suggest you take an opportunity right now Add CSBA's contact information to your own contact list so that you're ready the next time your client needs a court bond. I'm thrilled to have a great company like CSBA as a longtime sponsor of the podcast. CSBA is a national agency, but they're very involved in the local Florida appellate community. In fact, CSBA is a global sponsor of the appellate practice section of the Florida Bar. If you want to learn more about supersedious bonds, check out Episode 9 of this podcast, Nothing Rhymes with Supersedious and the in-depth discussion with CSBA President Dan Huckabay. Next time your client needs a supersedious bond, please give Court Surety Bond Agency a call. These folks are experts in this area. They'll guide you and your client through the process, giving you one less thing to worry about. So Nick Shanine, welcome back to the Issues on Appeal podcast. Great to be back. Thanks for having me for the it's fine, Blake. I know. So um, I mentioned this on Twitter, but you have invoked the uh, not often cited Saturday Night Live rule. Uh, you know, I think that's hosting a show, but, you know, appearing on the show five times puts you entitled to some sort of smoker's jacket. But we're, we're fresh out of smoker's jacket, so um, I'll send you a hat. <laughs> uh, a, a hat will work just fine. I, I look forward to it, and uh, I'm honored to, uh, to be in Steve Martin's five time club company excellent excellent always glad to have you on the show so you know these past uh two weeks we've been talking about you know appellate uh quirky habits superstitions um things that that we do as appellate lawyers and appellate stuff and a lot of it relates to our argument but i don't even know what story you're going to tell well, well, sure, and and actually, I'll I'll start with this preface that even just to do your show to show what a creature of habit uh, I am, uh, you've always had me uh, use those fancy podcast uh, earphone and microphones, uh, which I've always had to borrow from my uh, from my secretary. <laughs> so uh, today, I was attempting to use for the first time my very own brand new pair. Uh, you know, microphone ears, and uh, and it uh, totally didn't work, and uh, and so the, the superstitious element to me is now, oh no, this isn't at all right. I, I want to go back. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that's you know that's always the the curse of technology is always uh, you know it's great when it works, but boy, sometimes it takes a little bit to get there. 
It, it, it's all true. It's all true. But uh, but no, as an appellate lawyer, we have two different elements to our practice. We've got the briefs and we've got the OAs. And and yeah, I, I've got got a couple minor superstitions, of course, with the briefs. Uh, you know, one one is the one that we all go with, and that's. Uh, uh, not that we all go with, but uh, the three is a magic number. Mm-hmm. And uh, and where I have two issues, I'll search hard for a third because you want three. And if I have four issues, I'm going to find a, a way to cram issues four and three into one issue because four is not a magic number. Three is a magic number. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so and, and there, of course, is, is some synergy to a, to a three-issue format. That uh, support lawyers tend to like, so yep. uh, you know it may be maybe part part superstition and part strategy, but but you know the three issue rule is, is one that I lean on. And, uh, another another brief superstition of sorts that I I have personally at least is uh, to to just like you never want to step on the crack uh, of the sidewalk, I I never want to land on the last allowed page mm-hmm. of a brief. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, if I if I'm on page fifty, it is me, you know, signaling the court that I had more to say. I just couldn't say it, and instead, I I, I, I like my sentences to have a punctuation mark at the end. Um, and so, if I can do whatever I can do to be on page forty nine instead of page fifty, or, or or page fourteen instead of fifteen on a reply, uh, then 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 that's what I do. Um, that said. Hopefully, I don't even get to, to page forty. You know, often we want brevity is is always prized where you can get it. But if it is going to be one of those monster briefs, I, I still try hard to to super use the superstition kicks in. And if I'm on page fifty, I'll struggle to even if it's allowed. Uh, yeah, I can step on that crack, but I don't want to. You know, I like that. I mean, I've talked a lot on the podcast about, you know, I, I feel like I've failed if I've written a 50-page brief, but but it does happen from time to time. Um, but I've never thought about, I like the I like the uh, confidence that it shows by ending on 49 and saying, you know, I really was done. <laughs> I like it. That, thank you. Thank you. So like part bravado, part superstition. Uh, there you have it. You All haven't right. defeated <laughs> me with your page numbers, rules of appellate procedure. <laughs> That's exactly it. Uh, yes. Uh, we will take our victories where we can. Pen grip firmly in hand. Yep. Uh, so, but uh, neither of those were stories, and I promised you a story. Uh, so I'll switch over to the OA side of the spectrum, and uh, and my story is this: uh, that uh, when uh, I decided it was time to go out and attempt to become a board certified appellate attorney. Which, uh, as your listeners in state know, is a a difficult uh, barrier put up by the Florida Bar to before you get to claim expertise, you have mm-hmm. to prove it. Yep. And uh, and not only do you have to prove it, but you have to do so by you know lots of oral arguments and lots of briefs, but most importantly, one hell of a test. Uh, you know, that's something that makes the bar look like you know the kindergarten exam. Yes. Uh, that uh, and and of all of the certification exams, you know, appellate is one of the most notoriously difficult to pass. That only eggheads are, are taking it to start with. And even amongst these eggheads, you know, the, the, the pass rate is rarely over 50% and, and often well below. Yes. Um, so it's, it's earned its reputation of being the monster test that it is. Um, 
And so when, uh, when studying for it, I decided to do what I do for oral arguments, which is, I guess, its own superstition slash habit, and that's to always stay over. Um, even if it's an, a relatively easy drive, like it was from Orlando to Lakeland back when we had oral arguments in Lakeland, mm-hmm. uh, I would still spend the night in Lakeland the night before because, you know, it eliminates all of the possible things that could go wrong, but it also was part of that superstition habit uh, that just reinforced where I was, what my purpose was, and, and what I was going to go do. So staying over is, is a habit that I already built up, and so for the, um, the exam, uh, I said, yes, I'm going to stay over at the hotel where the exam has been given. And it turns out that there were three other, uh, you know, uh, brave denizens who, who had the exact same plan, and uh, we were all uh, roomed together on the same floor of the hotel, uh, which had a, a like a lobby break area. Um, so... You know, when I went by and I, I happened to notice some other, uh, you know, young lawyers studying, you know, for example, like, well, hello, <laughs> don't suppose you're here for the appellate practice exam. And uh, long story short, this is the way that I got to first meet uh, former past chair of the appellate practice section, Chris Carlisle, mm-hmm. and former past chair of the appellate practice section, Karen Bellis. Um, and, and what other super attorney named Gwendolyn, uh, and, and, uh, and so the four of us, uh, quickly figured out we were all in this together. And so we, we, we would gather in that study room impromptu, exchange notes, ideas, and then we decided, well, we, you know, we can't, you know, make it all the way till tomorrow's meeting without a, without a meal. So we all went to dinner downstairs and I would have never dared to have, uh, enjoyed a, a beverage before such an important test, but uh, Chris, Chris Carlisle proved that he is quite the appellate oral argument specialist by uh, convincing me and the other two test takers that a glass would be a very wise thing to help to settle your nerves and get, you know, uh, properly in the zone. So uh, we, we shared one bottle of, of gin, I believe it was, a red, not that fake pink stuff. Uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, and then the next morning we woke up, we went attacked the test, the evil test that it was of the 17 appellate practice section members who were signed up for it. Only 12 even dared to show. And of the 12, only six passed. Of the six, all four of the four uh, wine drinkers uh, who had studied together passed that test. Huh. Uh, so, A, yay, appellate practice section chairs, because uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's good to hear. But the, but the moral of the story is this. A, a single beverage of, of proper sternness and substance uh, the night before a, an important appellate adventure uh, is, is what the doctor ordered. So ever since then, it has been my superstition uh, to always, no matter where I was, uh, make sure one, one and only one, that's the key to this, mm-hmm. uh, beverage is consumed in order to properly settle in for uh, the uh, oral argument to follow. Hmm. Well, yeah, no, that makes sense. Uh, you know, the whole uh, a little is good, uh, too much is, is not good. Uh, and that's, uh, <laughs> and it doesn't surprise me that Chris Carlisle would come up with that. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hur- hur- hooray, Chris. I, I will, I will say that the, 
the single beverage idea while, while having it before an oral argument I, I, or, or an appellate testimony to Chris, uh, I've, I've stumbled across this excellent quote by James Thurber regarding uh, alcoholic beverages. that One is just right, two is too many, and three is far, far too few. <laughs> right. <laughs> three is just early on a Saturday night, right? <laughs> three, three, three means okay. Now, now you, if you're going to get the three. You got it. Got to be willing to go get get the go some, the distance. Some, some, some crooked numbers, as the baseball fans might say. Yes, go the distance. Also, as baseball fans might say. Um, well, thanks, Nick. I appreciate that. I appreciate your story, and uh, I appreciate you. Uh, you coming on the podcast yet again and uh you know your your hats uh, in the mail and and we'll talk again soon i'm sure uh, i i can't can't wait to don it we'll do so with pride and uh, thank you again for the opportunity and uh beware those ladders in the number 13 and i'll catch you later Dwayne. thanks nick so cc berman welcome back to the issues on appeal podcast thanks Dwayne. it's so good to be back yeah. So now we are working on a, another batch of stories about uh, people's, you know, habits and traditions and things that they do. And, and it almost all seems to focus around oral argument because that's the only exciting thing we do, right? <laughs> but uh, Pretty much. <laughs> I, I heard that you, you, you have some habits that, uh, that you've fallen into on OA prep. I do. I do have some OA prep habits. So... I don't have anything, I'll say, that interesting other than to say I do do everything exactly the same way every time down to it. I did finally switch over to going from a legal pad with handwritten OA notes, which I did right up through probably within the last couple of years, even though everything else we all do has been on, you know, electronic for some time now. Um, records, of course, your brief writing and all of that. That was the last thing I did that I remained on my legal pad. I had to have a certain legal pad with a certain margin size, and I would write certain notes on one side, and other things had to go in the margin. And I finally let go of that and started typing my OA notes. But even then, they have to look exactly the same, so much so that when I pull up, you know, to start a new document for oral argument, I have to pull up, say, an older set of notes to make sure I'm following the format of the old notes mm-hmm. for when I do the oral argument notes for the current case, because I like to make sure it looks exactly the same. So yeah. anyway, yeah. one of the no, ways I, that, I, yeah. I don't find, I, I find I do something similar and honestly I would, I would like to be able to do my notes handwritten, but I, I can't sometimes read my own handwriting. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just my handwriting is that bad. So because it's so much easier, I think sometimes to fit things in when you're handwriting than when you're using a computer. But ultimately I've, I've given in and I have a, you know, I do a sort of a condensed printed, you know, notes and such. So I'm with you so far. Well, that's funny that you mentioned that actually, because my handwriting, we have a joke in my office. My handwriting is not good either. When, um, you know, I work with Joe Eagleton and we work a lot together and there's this joke that when CC takes notes and we need to go back later and look and see what, you know, if we have some great thought and I jot it down, we've gotten to where I'm really not in charge of jotting it down anymore because when we come back around and do it in two months, we can't read whatever I wrote. I can't read it. He can't read it. But what, so what I used to do for OA notes, to your point about the handwriting, 
is I would scribble it all down, but then I would rewrite the whole thing and I would write it slowly, methodically as if I were, you know, teaching six year olds how to write. And I would have handwriting that didn't look anything like my own handwriting and it would take me a long time to write it but I would write this very neat sort of not block print but print it would never be cursive it would always be in print and I write in cursive normally for myself which is partly probably why you can't read it and um, I would rewrite the whole thing so that it would be organized how I wanted and it would look how I wanted it to look and of course there's a lot of internalization of your material that goes on when you're handwriting uh, just like when you read something, you take the time to print it out and mark it up and read it. It's the same concept, I think. And so I think it was useful to me there. So it was okay to be slow and methodical and write this down because there's actually work that's happening while you do that. But that's what I used to do to solve the handwriting problem. But anyway, I shifted away from that because I think I got tired of flipping pages though on a legal pad. And I didn't like the idea of these individual pieces of paper sliding all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um so I, I've started typing everything, but like you, when you mentioned you can't put everything where you want, so I type now, um, depends on how complicated the case is. If it's complicated enough, I will do a long version, and then what I call the short version, and then the short version is what I'm going to work off of, but I'll print out the long version and some of the things, maybe record citations or whatever, I will then handwrite in on the margins of the short version. And that's the actual one I will use for the oral argument. So there's obviously a lot that goes into this, right? We all do have our strange little ways. Sure. <laughs> so, so anyway, it always has to look the same. I always have to have at the very first at the top, I always have to write good morning or good afternoon, whatever the case may be, because I, ha- I live in mortal fear that the most basic things I'll be so ready to dive into mm-hmm. my material that I won't actually say, good morning, I'm C.C. Berman, I'm here today for so-and-so. I feel that I still feel after all these years there's a very real possibility that I will not say that if I don't prep myself to say it at the top of the piece of paper. Yeah, yeah. So if you, ever, a- if you ever have a chance to look at my notes and you see G-M, that means good morning. <laughs> it's at the top of every set of oral argument notes I do. You know, that's a common theme, too. I've heard a couple people have told me that they do that or that they, you know, uh, that they write, may it please the court, or they write uh, their name at the top or or whatever, you know, not because they think they're going to forget their name, but just because they think they're going to forget to say it. So (laughs) I think that's a a common shared fear that, you know, until you get going, like the, you know, like I always rehearse and rehearse and rehearse the first couple lines over and over and over again, because like once you get through that, you figure now I'm on a roll, right? But it's, you get a little tongue tied maybe for the first uh, 30 seconds. Absolutely. And so, and it's good to hear that I'm not alone. So it, it always, <laughs> it always looks like that. And then I, I type my notes and like I said, now that I type them, they tend to get more, they get wordier. My words get wordier than they used to when I hand wrote them. And I found that I was actually much smoother when I did not have that level of detail in my notes. And I've found in the last couple of years, I've had a couple oral arguments that I don't think were smooth. And I think some of that was on me because I'm trying to look at these verbose notes that I've got typed up. Um, and so that's when I came up with this notion of a short version and a long version. Um, like I said, particularly in multi-issue or more complicated cases where I might've been more likely to type a whole lot and then to force myself to back off of it. And so you know, I'll, I'll have my organization. It involves a lot of bullet points, a lot of indentation. It has to be just so. 
um, I always bold certain concepts throughout the page so that if I'm off topic or get taken off topic and I need to get back on topic, I can look for those bolded buzzwords and know that in that section of the page, that's where I can find, you know, the issue on, I don't know, whether the contract, you know, is enforceable or not, or whatever the case may be, whatever my issue is, I can look for these bolded words and quickly find them. I don't think I usually need it. Usually I know my material well enough, but once in a while you can get thrown off and it allows me to kind of at least have something to say for a minute while I get myself back in order again. Um, the other, the other thing I do is once I have it all laid out, which I won't bore you with how it actually all looks because who really cares? <laughs> it does have a way to have to look. I print it and then I have to use a pencil. I will mark it up with a pencil. Um, I will put, like I have ways that on the left-hand margin, I always, to the extent I want to mention a case, the case is always there in the margin with a shorthand citation system I came up with years ago for case citations. And um, sometimes I will also have the pages of the brief that a particular point comes out of if I don't write case names so that I could direct the court to the brief pages if they wanted to find, say, relevant cases. You know, maybe it's something where there's like a multitude of cases, too much for me to write the margin. But it always has to be in pencil because pencil tells my eye that I don't need to know about that in my initial talking points but it's there for me if I have to come back to it. Does that make any sense at all? It, it does. It does. And I do something similar, but um, I you know, will either use, like in my outline, I'll use italics sometimes for things that I think are stuff that I might have to say if we get off on a tangent, but I'm not like planning to say it, but I want to be prepared to say it. But the italics, you know, uh, sets it off in my vision. So I'm o- overlooking it unless I'm looking for it, if that makes sense. Or, yes, I think that's the same thing I'm doing with yeah, the pencil. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do something very much like that. It's funny how much time we spend on on putting together these outlines, which I don't know what your experience is, but sometimes, and I, I have a very similar process and it's, it's very similar, you know, but sometimes some oral arguments, particularly if you have a cold bench, you know, I might follow my outline and glance at my outline and work my way through it. And some, if you have a hot bench, I may never really look at the outline, you know, because they don't give you, they don't give you a chance or, or like you said, sometimes you get so, down the rabbit hole on questions that you do look at it just to say, where was I, you know, to kind of pull you back into the flow, but then you just go, you know, so a lot of this is, um, big time security blanket, right. To, for the, for the what ifs and, uh, make, makes us feel better, but, um, you know, sometimes we don't need it at all. A hundred percent. And I think though, from the security blanket standpoint, that's why I care about, you know, things like how it has to always look the same because I talk to my pencil, but then I also have a system for bracketing certain things and the bracketing is different from the pencil. And then I have a bolded line, which is my indication for myself where my main argument ends, but below the bolded line, I know I have what I might think of as the sticky issues that could come up. And the system I told you out of bolding certain points and all of that to say that when it comes to a security blanket standpoint, I do know the material very well, but I also will know, as maybe you feel the same way, I will know about where something is or using all of my strange 
categorizing I just described, I'm looking for something written in pencil. I'm looking for something that's going to be under this bolded line on the right. You know, um, if I need to glance quickly, because maybe I know the material, but even if you know the material, sometimes you have a really great point that you want to say exactly a certain way and you don't want to be on a roll and miss that. And I, you know, I want to double check as I'm talking, my eyes are going to double check that bullet pointed list, but I have to be able to find it quickly in these notes to make sure, oh yeah, I I already said that. Or, oh, I'm glad I looked at my bullet pointed list. I need to add that when I'm done saying this, which if you think about it, it's a lot that your mind is doing because I'm doing all that as I'm sure you are too, while I'm talking and answering a question a lot of times, I'm, you know, you're doing that at the same time. Um, it's a lot that feels like it's happening all at once sometimes, but, um, so that's why this look of the notes is very important to me. It has to be exactly the same. And it's why sometimes when I work up my arguments, as long as I don't have what I'll call too many mistakes in my typed up, you know, notes, if I have just a few things I want to change, I will change them by hand and mark it up, but I don't print a new clean copy. I continue to work with the marked up copy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because it becomes more distinguishing stuff, if you will, that your mind and your eyes look for. You're like, oh, I remember that's, you know, that's near where the blue pen mark is because I was working with that yesterday before, you know, during the prep or whatever the case may be. But I actually ultimately use my marked up copy, not a clean one. Although I could print and create a clean one. I don't on purpose. Yeah. Yeah, I usually, my, my, my last clean copy is usually printed about 24 hours before the oral argument, and then any changes that I make and adjustments from that point, I, I, I make by hand and blue ink or whatever, and yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm totally on board with you. You know, I don't know if you've, if you've seen, if you've been to oral argument and seen someone come up to the to the podium with with just a you know, a yellow pad with, you know, three or four points written down on it. And, and I think when I see that, I think this is either going to be really, really good or really bad. Right. <laughs> and, and it can be a little bit of both, but, but I, it's not, um, it's not my style and clearly not your style. <laughs> no, although you remember I, when I started, I said I did a yellow legal pad and in some ways I thought I was smoother. And that's how it looked because I had, I did still have this whole system with the stuff in the margins and some in pencil and different colored ink and all of that. But at the end of the day, I had a rule. If it couldn't fit on that page, then I had too much on the page. Mm -hmm. And so I had, um, you know, occasionally now I might have something close to a complete sentence, let's say, in my notes. And I never used to have that. And I have been working really hard on pulling back from that. And, um, and, you know, trying to get back to that. And I use a lot of symbols. You know, in Word, you've got those symbols that you can use, you know, um, and I use them, actually. I use, I don't even know what it's called, but you know the thing that looks like an equal sign with a flash through it? Yep, like, yeah, not equals I, or whatever. Well, yeah, yeah, I don't know if that's, the not equal sign. I use that, for example, all the time. You'll see that in my notes constantly. You'll see BR of capital K, not equals, fill in the blank. And that means that's my shorthand for breach of contract. Doesn't mean X, you know, um, that I thought of that one because that was just in my notes from the argument I did yesterday, but I use a lot of symbols and a lot of, um, abbreviations for words that we use in the law all the time that I've now been using just for years when I take notes. So, the whole thing sometimes looks like a quite a bit of shorthand because I don't <laughs> write out hardly anything. 
You know, that's that's great. I mean, we all get in the habit. We develop our own shorthand, our own symbols, and, and it it makes things shorter, but it triggers things in your head. And, you know, I, I do that kind of stuff, too. Like, I always abbreviate uh, contract with a K, and plaintiff is always a pi sign, and defendant is always a delta, you know, and that sort of thing. And it just, um, you know, it makes perfect sense to me, and it saves a lot of space. Well, Cece, thanks. Uh, thanks for... Uh, talking to us again today and thanks for your time I really appreciate you being on the podcast thanks Dwayne it's always so fun to be on here with you so thanks for having me thanks thanks to all my guests for being on the podcast again their biography and contact information is in the show notes remember podcasts are never legal advice and Nothing that I say or my guests say should ever be interpreted as legal advice for any particular situation. But if you're a lawyer that needs the help of an appellate lawyer, I'm happy to try and help. My contact information is always in the show notes. And please consider using our sponsor, Court Surety Bond Agency, for your client's appellate bond needs. Their contact information is also in the show notes. Take a moment now, add it to your contacts so that you're ready when your client needs a supersedious bond. Next episode will be released in two weeks. I hope you will continue to download and listen. Thank you for considering this week's Issues on Appeal. 